me in John chapter 19, if you would, John chapter 19, and we're uh, going to pick up kind of where we left off last Sunday at Calvary, and we are preaching through the gospel of John since, um, well, about a year and a half or more, uh, verse by verse, uh, just going through, and we've, we've come to Calvary, we did last, year, last week, uh, and we had Jesus there and uh, on the cross, and they have parted his raiment. They're they're gambling at the foot of the cross for his inner garment and his garments uh, as Jesus is hanging there. We'll begin in John chapter nineteen and verse number twenty, uh, verse number twenty six, verse number twenty six. Or right, let's just start in verse twenty five. The Bible says, "Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary." the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciples standing by, by, this is John, whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Historians say that after... Jesus had died, that Mary lived another 11 years with John. Look at verse number 28, the Bible says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, and I want you to notice this phrase, I thirst, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach a few minutes this morning. And again, Lord, you know that today is a very, very busy day. But Lord, uh, a good day. A good day to serve you. A good day to lift you up. A good day to exalt a name that's above every name. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we say and do. And may we just not open up our ears, but our hearts. May we not just hear the word, but do the work. I pray that you'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality of the text is this. We we see that Jesus is on the cross. We see there's a lot going on. There's his mother there. Mary Magdalene is there. Uh, There's a friend, a disciple by the name of John who is present. Jesus taking care of his mother. I'm sure he's praying for uh, the mother of of Christ, which is Mary. And he's uh, he's making sure that Mary is taken care of. Then John is, is the responsible disciple, the Bible says, in whom Jesus loved. Now, John actually wrote this, so he wrote that about himself. He, he loved me more than the rest of you, right? And, uh, but John wrote that. He, he loved me. And, and John's by the, by the cross. And, and then you can imagine soldiers are by the cross. And the two thieves that hung between Jesus are, are there. And, and they're hearing all of this. And Jesus is taking care of those things. But according to verse 28, Jesus says, I thirst. Now, a few weeks ago, as I was getting ready for the rest of the year's preaching, especially in the Gospel of John, I was looking at these remaining texts and, and, and these messages, and I thought, we cannot overlook the fact that Jesus, all God, yet all man, was thirsty. 
And I thought, we cannot pass over this without stopping for a few minutes and thinking about the, the magnitude of just these two words, I thirst. We know something about being thirsty in South Carolina, don't we? This heat recently, this heat that we have uh, experienced, I'll be honest with you, I, I, on Sundays especially, I'm, I'm having to down water all the time because I'm, I'm talking, I'm singing. I just came out of a deacon's meeting a moment ago in between the services. That's a, I know that's a glutton for punishment. But uh, we, we're talking, and then I, uh, we have the uh, homegoing service for Miss Cindy here in just a few minutes. And so after that, and, and by the, listen, by the end of the day, every Sunday, I am always thinking, man, I'm so thirsty. I looked at my wife yesterday after we had ate a meal, and I said, man, I'm so thirsty. Why? Well, the heat. And all the things. Listen, water is so good for you, but I'll be honest, it is so plain. I have such a hard time just drinking. Some of you just drink water all the time, and I'm thinking, man, you just need some flavor. Oh, put some flavor. No, that's bad for you. Don't put that in there. Uh, but, but water's so wonderful. And I, I was just thinking about how important it is in the state of South Carolina that we uh, constantly hydrate and keep water in our bodies and and when I moved here in 2016, the state of South Carolina, at least the upstate, was in a drought. Matter of fact, I moved here, and it didn't rain for three or four months, and so, uh, or at least a, a good a trend, and people were complaining about their grass dying, and, and farmers was complaining about their crops, and, and uh, I thought maybe a curse had come because I'd moved here. I didn't really know the truth. And so uh, we were uh, in, in somewhat of a drought. The weatherman would come on every night and say, hey, we need water, we need water. We are so, we're inches below this, and we're doing this. And I remember... Uh, in, in, in the state of South Carolina that it got so bad that Baptists had to start sprinkling. That Methodists had to start swabbing with a wet rag. Presbyterians were offering baptism IOUs. And Catholics were praying Jesus would turn the wine back into water. That's how bad it was. Now I'm being facetious. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Water was scarce. But today, as we continue to survey the wondrous cross of our Lord, we will see that Jesus is suffering as we did last week. We'll see that Jesus' suffering on Calvary included a lack of water. Now, I don't know if you've ever truly been thirsty, and I'm not talking about just thirsty like I need a drink. I'm talking about thirsty, where your tongue stuck to the top of the roof of your mouth, where you were parched, where you were so thirsty that you would have given a numerous, uh, uh, an innumerous amount of money for a, just a bottle of water or just a glass of water, a drink of water. Our Lord was on the cross and he was, he was so thirsty that all of the humanity that he could grasp in that, on that statement on the cross, he said, after he took care of his disciple, his mother, he took care of those, he said, I thirst. Now notice... A key verse in this phrase is verse number 28. There's two words at the beginning of verse 28 that says, after this, after this, if this happened after this, what was this? Sometimes when you're reading your Bible and you see that after these things or after this, hey, stop for a second, time out. What was this? We'll read ahead the, the sufferings of our Savior the, the, uh, the beatings, the scourgings, the stripping, the, the nakedness. These things happened. It was the agony of it. The agony of it. The personal shame. 
The agony of soul. He was ridiculed by the world that he came to save. History reveals that most people who were crucified the way that Jesus was crucified, they were crucified naked. They would strip them of their clothes. Sometimes we, in our minds, we think that a cross was really tall and Jesus would have been way up in the air. But, but these Roman crosses only had their feet just a little bit off the ground. Why? Because people could walk by and spit on them and laugh. They were not really tall up in the air. They were down about street level where people could just walk by and laugh and scoff and spit. There was the agony, the shame. And then they divided his his clothing, his outer garment. They gambled for his inner garment. And the Jews even said, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. There was the physical suffering. The agony. Now keep in mind, we, we, we spoke about this a little bit last week, but keep in mind there was a physical suffering. The agony of his body. The word excruciate, when we use that, many of us will use that if we hurt ourselves. We, we say it's excruciating pain. That word excruciate literally means from the cross. So when we use the word excruciating, what we're saying is, I can identify in some way in this pain with what our Savior did on the cross. I know we don't mean that, but at the same time, that's exactly where that word came from, from the cross. The Persians were the ones who invented the crucifixion. The Romans perfected the crucifixion. The spikes were designed to strike that median nerve. The death result as suffocation, blood loss. Fluid build up in the lungs, heart failure. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14, the Bible says his visage was marred more than any man. You could not recognize our Savior. You would not, if you were walking by the cross that day, you would not have recognized who that was. Why? His visage was so marred. It was until he had fulfilled his mission to be afflicted and suffer and shed the blood, His blood, for an atonement for our sins and and the sins of the whole world and the sorrows of the whole world that He had never thought about Himself. He had never said, boy, this hurts. He had never said, wow, I wonder what they're thinking of me up here naked. It never had even crossed his mind until he said, I thirst. He has prayed for the soldiers. He's prayed for his mother. He's prayed for the thieves on the cross. And only when his painful burden had been carried and appointed conclusion, it's the very end. I mean, just a few verses down here in our text, he finally says, it is finished. It was almost the end. It's then that he says, hey, I'm actually thirsty. We can't imagine how thirsty our Savior was. Then there's a painful separation. The agony of spirit. The only time in scripture that you'll find the word agony is found in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. It's when our Savior went to the garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he was in agony. The only time in scripture that the word agony is used. And the word agony means to go to battle. 
So agony actually means a battle. It's only used one time. And putting the timelines together, this follows the cry of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40, 40 or Matthew 27 and verse 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was turmoil, there was a battle. Matthew 27 says the Romans gave him a scarlet robe. They gave him a crown of thorns. We talked about that a little bit last week. Genesis 3 tells us that thorns are a consequence of our sin. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 that scarlet is symbolic for sin. So what they were doing, these soldiers, by putting a scarlet robe on Jesus, by putting a crown of thorns on Jesus, he was bearing our sin. They didn't know it, but they were preaching a message. Jesus bore our sin. It was symbolic. But then we see the second thing, not only the agony of it, but the necessity of it. Notice the next phrase in verse 28. After this, notice this, that was a comma, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Notice that phrase, all things now accomplished. The word accomplished means fulfilled. It means finished. It means completed. It means consummated. Done. So we see God's pleasure because verse 18 of John 19 tells us that when they crucified Him, when they crucified Him, where they crucified Him, and two others with Him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. I've always read that and assumed that the they was the soldiers. When they crucified him, the they maybe was the religious crowd, the ones that put Jesus to death, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe they are the they in that text. Maybe it's Pontius Pilate, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Caiaphas, or maybe it's Herod, I'm not sure. But the they here could be God himself, the Lord. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to bruise him. The Lord was pleased to bruise our Savior. The Bible says in Isaiah that he was smitten of God and afflicted. Literally smitten of God. He was bruised. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God's righteous demands has been satisfied because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God became man in a person of Jesus Christ. He lived sinlessly. He yet was crucified for the sins of mankind. And at Golgotha, Calvary, it pleased God to to crush His Son, to bruise His Son under the full weight of His righteousness. Under the full weight of His righteous anger against sin, our sin, it pleased the Lord. It satisfied His holy wrath. It satisfied and appeased His own justice. It made a way for a holy God to forgive wicked man and remain holy. You say, Pastor, why would God bruise His Son? Why would the Lord be pleased with the bruising and the crushing and the smiting our Savior? Why would He be pleased with it? Why? One word, because He loved us. He loved us. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Amazing love. How can it be that that thy son would die for 
me. Love is what it costs. Love is the answer. The reason that God did this is because He loved you and me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That love. So we see the pleasure that God had in bruising His Son. But then we see God's pardon because notice the next word in verse 28. They, they uh, in verse <clears throat> 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things <clears throat> were now accomplished, notice that word accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That word accomplished is the same root word as verse 30, the word finished, where Jesus said, it is finished. Accomplished is an accounting term. We see that word in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, or it's, it's tied to that word or that verse in 1 Corinthians that says you're bought with a price. We've been purchased. It's finished. It's been paid for. Revelation says with your blood you have purchased men. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, for you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He has purchased us with the blood. You can say, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me. Amen. Is this a Baptist church? Y'all do believe that, don't you? You've been bought with the blood of Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. He paid it all. He didn't pay some. He didn't pay a little bit. He paid it all. We ought to thank God for that with His blood. Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer. With His blood, He purchased me. Aren't you thankful that He purchased us with what? The blood of Jesus Christ. The debt has not been canceled. The debt has been paid. It's been paid. I've seen this week where the president canceled some debt. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't cancel debt. Jesus pays it in full. The debt was not overlooked. It was satisfied. We did not declare bankruptcy and get out of paying debt. Jesus said, I'll pay it all and pay it in full. How did he do that? He paid it with the blood. Then we see the prophecy. I love it when the Old Testament and the New Testament complement one another. The psalmist in those messianic psalms, Psalm 69 and verse 21, it says, They gave me golf for food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. The, the psalmist also says that my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. You think about this. These were the psalmist who was declaring these things about our Savior and what he would go through. The thirst, the necessity of it, the agony of it, but lastly, the humanity of it. See, he said, I thirst, in verse 28, but Jesus was not a man who became God, but he is God who became man. And he declared that. He declared that. Have you not been with us all the way through John? If you're just joining us, we've been preaching through John since 2000, uh, January 1st, 2022, about a year and a half or more. Uh, we've been preaching through John verse by verse, and we have come to the statements 
that Jesus has made about himself and his deity. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He also made a statement to those religious crowd in John 8, 58 and the disciples. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He is the I am because he is God in the flesh. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He told that to Saul. He said, I'm the eternal that submits to the temporal. He said, I'm the deity that sympathizes the most basic human need that you can have. He's the infinite that relates to the finite. He cares about your need. You say, Pastor, I have a need today. I have a want today. I have a desire today. I have a burden today. Guess what? That creator, he cares about your need. He cares about your need. Scripture reveals that an eternal God has steeped into flesh and that eternity has steeped into time. And Jesus says from the cross, I thirst. The God that can do anything, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, I thirst. We see the declaration. He is God. But then we see the dryness. Get this. The one who spoke water into existence. The one who opened the first cloud. The one whose power parted the Red Sea for Moses. The one who separated the sea from dry ground. The one who stopped the flow of the Jordan River. The one who provided water from a rock in a desert. The one who said in his deity, whosoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again. That same Jesus said, I thirst. In his humanity. Psalms 95 tells us the deep places of the earth, the seas are in his hand. The psalmist said the sea is his and for it it was he who made it. Uh, The psalmist says that he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. So the volume of water, think about all the oceans, think about the lakes, think about the rivers, all of that God created and made I read just a little bit about, and I'm just always mesmerized by numbers. They just do something for me. But the volume of water in the ocean is about 1.4 billion cubic kilometers. Now, I don't know how much that is. And neither do you. But that is a bunch. That's a lot of water. It would make a sphere with a diameter of about 851 miles long. If you took an Olympic-sized swimming pool and turned it into a scoop, at a rate of one per second, it would take nearly 17 and a half million years to drain the oceans dry. If you could turn the Grand Canyon into a giant scoop and dipped it one Uh, One per hour, once per hour, 277 miles long, 15 miles wide, one mile deep, it would take nearly 16 years to drain the oceans dry. And yet the God that spoke all that into existence in His humanity said, I thirst. 
Notice what they gave him to drink. The Bible says in John that when Jesus said, I thirst, verse 29 says there was a set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I believe the way I read the Gospels is I believe that Jesus was actually offered two times, two drinks while upon the cross. Now you can study that out and if you believe otherwise, I, 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 it's not going to make a huge difference, but it, it, you know, I will stand corrected. But I, I believe that. The first was a drugged wine. It was mixed with gall or myrrh is what they call it, according to Matthew chapter 27. Turn over there with me real quick. And here's why I believe that, because the psalmist talks about it too. But Matthew 27, which we referred to a lot about the crucifixion in the last few weeks, <clears throat> they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he, notice this, he would not drink. He would not drink. Now, why did he refuse it? Here in Matthew 27, it, it looks like they tried to give him something that mixed with myrrh. They, they said this was a, a, a drug type that would relieve some of the pain. I believe the reason that Jesus refused the, the myrrh or the, the vinegar that had some myrrh in it uh, and gall is because it maybe he would have faced death with, with, with a clouded mind. It would have maybe distorted the pain a little bit or taken some of the pain away. There'd be no release, there would be uh, no relief, and there would be no reprieve. That's what our Savior did. He wanted to face our sin and the death and the punishment with no relief. He took upon it all. He refused it. The second drink is mixed with vinegar. I believe in, we, we find that in uh, Psalms 69. Gall is, uh, the root word of gall is guile, which is sin. I think there may be something there, but it's as it's, it's if Jesus is, is refusing this this numbness, he's refusing this drug, but willingly taking our sin. Now church, when we come to this text, we need to stop and think. Instead of just skimming over, oh, I thirst. We need to stop and say, boy, goodness, our Savior did that for me. For me. It ought to bring a humility. It ought to bring a revival. It ought to bring an awakening. It ought to re bring repentance. It ought to bring thanksgiving. I was raised in a wonderful home. My dad would always have music on. <clears throat> always, in the car, or at, at the house. He had record players. How many of you know what a record is? You're revealing your age. 
My dad had eight tracks, believe it or not. Uh, he hung on to them. He still has them. But there was an old southern gospel group called the Cathedrals. I listened to them all the time. If it wasn't for the Cathedrals or Vestal Goodman, we wouldn't have anything playing. I thought Vestal Goodman was uh, singing in our church until I was older, you know. She was just a, a blessed singer. But the Cathedral sung a song called I Thirst. I Thirst. Here's the words of that song, or at least some of it. I looked it up this week. Listen to the words of this. One day I came to him, I was so thirsty. I asked for water, my throat was so dry. He gave me water that I have never dreamed of. But for this water, my Lord had to die. He said, I thirst, yet he gave me rivers. He said, I thirst, yet he made the sea. I thirst, said the king of ages, in his great thirst. He brought water to me. So many today are seeking to quench their thirst with anything other than God. They're trying everything the world has to offer. Let me just say this this morning, that if you'll turn to Jesus and take of the water that never runs dry, you'll never thirst again. That water will satisfy you. That water will help you. That water will sustain you. That water will give you life. That water will give you energy. That water will give you fortitude. Hey, that water will help you. What the world has to offer will... It may satisfy a little bit. It'll be like a Coca-Cola. It'll taste good for a little bit, but you'll be thirsty again. Listen, after a hot, sweltering day in the sun mowing grass and weed eating and working and, and doing all that stuff out in 95 degree heat, don't go in and drink a Coca-Cola because you're only going to get more thirsty. Now, ain't nothing wrong with a Coca-Cola. But you understand that's not what we ought to hydrate on. What's more healthy for you? What's more sustaining for you? What's better for you? What you know is going to quench your thirst? What, you, what, what do you know that's better for you in, in that heat and that, that, uh, that, that sweltering uh, heat and humidity and all? Hey, it's the water. And the same thing goes for our spiritual life. Quit feeding and feasting on the world and what they have to offer and turn to Christ. And listen, look at what He's done for you. Look at all He went through and look what He has to offer. Look at what He has to offer. He brought water to me. I'm thankful that 30 years ago, Jesus brought water to me. Let's pray together.